E-N. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Looked at the markets a little different than what we saw in yesterday's trade, but having said that, there's been a lot of discussion about what's happening in weather in South America. Who's getting rain? Who's not getting rain? More importantly, we're going to look at a Brazil team update when it comes to both the soybeans and the corn crop estimates. A big cut came into the winter wheat crops in Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma. Should come as no surprise, especially with the way we saw the fall weather moving into the winter months. We'll dive more into that and a lot more as we continue today. Arlen Suderman joins us. He is with Stonex. And I think first and foremost, Arlen, let's talk about this Brazilian team update that you guys released this week. Yeah, our Brazilian team uh, does a customer survey once a month during the growing season, as we do here in the United States as well, and uh, estimate production the size of the corn and soybean crops. And they, in their December 1 survey, they had pegged the soybean crop at 145 million metric tons and corn crop, total corn crop from the three crops that grow at 120 million metric tons. Their January update cut those. The corn crop fell two and a half million metric tons because of the summer crop, the first crop, which is a small crop, uh, was reduced production. And that was partially offset by some increases for the expected size of the winter crop, which is the big crop that uh, provides most of their exportable supplies. So a little bit of a cut there. Uh, and the soybean crop, though, is what really kind of helped move the markets on Tuesday. And then the market kind of quickly forgot about it. Um, that slashed the size of the crop, the soybean crop, by 11 million metric tons from 145 down to 134 million metric tons. So it was largely for uh, 25 to 28% reductions in production in the southern part of the country where it's been really dry. We had anticipated that we would see um, above trend yields, increase in yields in the north where the rains have been good. If you look at portions of Brazil that have been under moisture stress, it's between 35 and 40 percent of the belt. The rest of the belt has had good rains and maybe in a few places even excessive rains, but overall you'd have to say good rains, and so we expected higher yields. We did not see that in this survey, so it did not offset the losses in the south as much as we expected, and the losses in the south are even a little bit steeper than what were anticipated. So I, I need to qualify this. As I look at the history and the track record of our Brazil team, um, their surveys in the January tend to understate the size of the crop, and then they have to come work their way back up by May, um, come up a little bit more. So this estimate may have some bias to come back up a little bit in the months ahead, but it does still signify the scope of the losses that we're seeing in Brazil and also even more so to Paraguay and Argentina. Now, Paraguay, southern Brazil, uh, they have been seeing some increase in showers lately. It's probably getting to the point now where the damage that's been done has been done. Argentina, it's early enough in the growing season, it could still go either way. We could see significant losses if the dryness continues or February is really the key month from a moisture standpoint. If the rains come back in February, we could actually see that what appears to be lost production come back. 
And so that's what we're watching right now. Some of the forecast models are calling for La Nina to start weakening. And so the rain pattern to shift from northern Brazil down into southern Brazil and into Argentina in February. So that would be good for uh, rejuvenating the crops in Argentina going forward. Um, but for Brazil, while it would help with the soybean harvest in some of the highly productive areas of the center west and areas to the east of that, um, it would also be potentially hazardous to their safrina corn crop. So that's something we're going to have to watch is in the weeks that come ahead. And, you know, as we continue to see more weather forecasts coming in, I mean, there's some spotty showers. But at this point for some of these crops, especially with the videos I've seen uh, via Twitter, is it going to be too much too late? Yeah, I think particularly for southern Brazil uh, in Paraguay, that's going to be the case. We've done quite a bit of damage already in those areas. Do you expect any more uh, changes to this weather forecast as you look at it in the weeks ahead? <laughs> yeah, you live in the plains. You know that's the case. And yep. so I, I would say that as we lose the stronger La Nina signal that makes uh, it erodes away the confidence in the forecast. So we can get some bigger changes in the forecast that were not anticipated as the La Nina signal weakens. Big changes. Uh, since we're talking crops, let's talk about this winter wheat crop. And we know it's been a struggle, especially in areas of, of Kansas. What are you seeing in those numbers from the report this week? Yeah, and remember that big, what I call, inland hurricane that we had back on December 15th uh, with the strong winds of 80 to 100 mile an hour plus gusts uh, was devastating to parts of the winter wheat crop where we did not have sufficient cover due to the drought. And uh, as I said, December 15th, the last crop ratings we got were on December 12th. Well, those individual states in that region have updated their crop ratings now for the winter wheat crop. Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma all reduced the portion of the crop rated good to excellent by 25 to 28 percentage points um, from the December report, 12 report, which is right before the uh, inland hurricane. Colorado reduced it 13 points. Those four states accounted for 46 percent of the hard red or of winter wheat production, total winter wheat production last year, and 36 percent of the national crop. Pretty significant. Wheat market traded it for a day, and then, like what typically happens, they quickly forgot about it. All right. Well, we aren't going to forget about what's happening in this market since it's so close to home for so many. We come back, we're going to continue to have a discussion about this December Fed meeting and what impact it's had on the markets along with the happenings of the livestock trade. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the World Radio Network. Here is another Fontenelle feature. I'm Joe Gangwish with Fontenelle Hybrids featuring another dealer for our network. We're going to visit with Terry Kachera from Bassett, Nebraska. And Terry, tell us a little bit about your dealership and working for Fontenelle. Well, Joe, I've been a dealer for Fontenelle since 1972. During my career as a seed dealer and farmer in Nebraska, I've seen a lot of change. As genetics and technology progress through the years and decades, Fontenelle has always been as progressive as any seed company that I've ever been around. Terry, any advice that you've learned through all these years of dealing with Fontenelle? I've always said uh, in farming, you're always going to make mistakes. You know, in most mistakes, you just can't help. You know, it's the weather or machine breakdown or pivot blows over or something like that. Uh, hybrid selection really isn't one that you should have to worry about. And Fontenelle always stands well, always yields well, and is 
is fairly priced. That's Terry Kuchera from Bassett, Nebraska. To learn more about products or to become a dealer, just go to Fontenelle.com. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As we continue our conversation this afternoon with Arlen Suderman. Arlen, of course, is with Stonex. And we saw earlier today the December Fed meeting notes were released. And, and as you and I were talking before the show, we definitely saw an impact not only on the outside markets, but on our grain markets as well. Yeah, we really did. And the Fed minutes kind of is our revelation. They come out about six weeks after the last meeting uh, and ahead of the next meeting. Um, and, and they give us our best indication of the discussions that take place inside the Fed meeting. And this would be, uh, I said six weeks, actually three weeks after. Uh, and this gives us an idea of what the discussions were in mid-December inside that Fed meeting. And it looks like it was much more hawkish than what the markets understood before, with Fed members talking about rate hikes coming much quicker than what was previously thought by the markets and maybe at a faster pace than was previously uh, talked about. And then it comes down to shrinking of the balance sheet. They're tapering right now, which means they're reducing the amount of stimulus that they're putting into the economy each month, but they're not talking about reducing it at all. We're just not building it as fast, and by March, we won't be building the balance sheet of the Fed, meaning putting more money into the economy anymore, uh, but it's all that stimulus is still there. And so some Fed members are now pushing for shrinking the balance sheet uh, soon after they start the rate hike. So we're probably looking at our first rate hikes in March um, and um, probably discussions at the next meeting about when they may shrink the balance sheet. The la- they last tried to shrink the balance sheet in 2018, which is a couple of years after they started the rate hikes. And they did that until sometime in 2019 when we started running into liquidity problems in the markets um, because they simply weren't prepared for that. The markets and the economy had become addicted to that stimulus money being into the system. So this could be a real challenge for them. But anyway, as soon as those minutes are released, we saw the equity markets take a sharp downturn. We even saw a downturn in the ag commodities at that point as well. As these came out about 15 minutes before their settlements, uh, we saw a downturn in, in those markets. So it, it really kind of messed with uh, the confidence level of traders across the board in the commodities as well as in the equities. What are your thoughts on, on China and the, maybe the lack thereof, but the, but the export opportunities that are there? Yeah, our real concern has been soybean exports. Obviously, they're the world's largest importer of soybeans. And we have this window of opportunity between September and January, and maybe into February, uh, to really export soybeans and then cheaper supplies from Brazil take the rest of the year and supply China the rest of the year. Brazil's got an early harvest. They've been harvesting for the last week. They started a week ago today with that harvest. And uh, those supplies are now making their way to the ports to get loaded onto boats. Um, and China knows this. They know our beans are cheaper. The demand right now is soft with crush margins very tight there. And we saw um, SIF bids, uh, basis bids at the Gulf 
uh, New Orleans today dropping eight to nine cents as demand for U.S. soybeans to ship to China is starting to fall off dramatically already. And I fear that's going to mean that USDA is going to need to make some significant cuts to its export target of soybeans, pushing ending stocks upward closer to 400 million bushels. On the livestock side and the cattle market, with with more COVID ramping up across the nation, do you think that's going to cause for any concerns when it comes to processing facilities? Yeah, it is. Uh, we're seeing some uh, dramatic increase in worker absenteeism at many plants. Um, that appears to be part of the reason that we've seen a reduction in slaughter rates in the latest data that's come out. So we're slowing the demand for cattle, and that's one of the reasons that we saw softness on the board today. Uh, the market would be much more comfortable if we could see some steady cash cattle trade. We have seen a little bit weaker trade in the north. We still haven't really moved much in the south yet at this point um, but it has traders nervous what are you looking at in this cattle market are we going to see uh, box beef i know possible bottom is taking place there but what's going to be the the stimulus to get this market excited yeah, if we're truly seeing a slowdown in slaughter, we should start tightening up that boxed beef market. And uh, we should start seeing retailers try to grab those supplies and a rise there. Of course, that means packer margins going back up. Um, they've been tremendously high over the past year. They had come down here in recent weeks. Um, that would start to rise, give incentive to packers to start trying to pull cattle forward. But they have to have the packer capacity. That means the workers to work those plants. And and uh, right now they're under a lot of scrutiny because the president's putting a lot of blame on them for high beef uh, prices at the retail level. All right, Arlen, what is the best way for folks to get a hold of you? StoneX.com or on Twitter. My handle's Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. And that is today's Fontenelle Final Bell. As always, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss when they're not suitable for all investors. The Fontenelle Final Bell is being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.